I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. And you're saying, but I'm at Zechariah. I thought we were studying Zechariah. Well, we will get to Zechariah, but I want us today to kind of step back and, and take a look at the big picture. Um, you know, it, a key in life is understanding God's design about anything. What is God's design for marriage? What is God's design for government? What is God's design for money? What is God's design in anything? And in, in doing that, we, we not only see His individual design as, as He gives us, but it is important that we see what they call the meta-narrative, the overriding theme of God throughout Scripture. And we're not going to look specifically today at all the overriding aspects of it, other than how it relates to Israel. The book of Zechariah has much focus on Israel, the Jewish people coming back to Jerusalem, and Lord willing, we'll step back, see the big picture, and then come back and deal with what does all this mean to us. I'm living in southern Iowa. You say, um, what does all this have to do with us? And Lord willing, we'll, we'll be able to connect it all together. But in Genesis chapter 12, which comes right after Genesis 11, write that in your notes. That's very profound, right? But in Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. And from the Tower of Babel is where all the nations of the earth come from. Okay? Where did nations? God established nations. And it goes back to Genesis 11. But in Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and He says to Abraham, this is after the Tower of Babel, get out of your country verse 1 of chapter 12, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, God here makes a covenant with Abraham. And it, it contains three basic parts. Number one, he promises Abraham some personal promises. He said, I am going to bless you. And I am going to make you, Abraham, a blessing to others. And I am going to make Abraham your name great. And I am going to give you many, many descendants. We're not going to take the time, but in chapter 13 and verse 16, he said, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that they cannot be numbered. And he says in other places that he will do that. So he personally promises to Abraham I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. I'm going to make your name great. And I am going to bless your seed. You, have, you will have numberless 
descendants. But he also not only makes it personal, he then makes national promises concerning Israel. He will said in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. So here is the beginning of the nation Israel. And, and he said, I will give you land. Look in verse 7 of chapter 12. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared unto him. We read in chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the great river Euphrates. So he, he specifically spells out here and in other passages that he will make a nation, so a national promise, and to that nation he will give land. He promised them land. But the third part, so a covenant with Abraham individually, a covenant with nationally with the nation of Israel, and then thirdly, there's a universal promise that he gives in verse 3 of chapter 12. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he gives this promise. He said, Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. And in you, through this nation, through these people, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we know Jesus Christ is of the line of the tribe of Judah. He is from Israel. Through Jesus Christ, all the nations of the earth are blessed. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 12. Now, that's the beginning. We're not going to spend time on all the history of Israel. But turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We know that Christ came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. Alright? They didn't accept Him as the Messiah. He was crucified, rose again, after he showed himself unto many, many people and instructed the disciples, he was caught up, it tells us in Acts 1, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And the, the disciples were standing there looking up and the angels said, Why do you stand here looking up? This same Jesus which was taken from you will come again in like manner as he has departed. But Jesus had told them, when I depart, He said, it is imperative that I depart, because when I depart, I will send the Holy Spirit unto you. He will dwell within you. He will instruct you, empower you. And we read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit directed His disciples to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just to the Jews, but to all the world. So, Genesis 12, it was Israel. Jesus Christ came, 
He departed. The Holy Spirit came. Now the gospel of Jesus Christ is designed to be preached to all people. Okay, look in Romans chapter 11 and verse 16. I'll begin reading. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump also is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For you, for if you were cut off of the olive tree, which was, is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, let me... Let me just explain here, okay? He's using an illustration of an olive tree. And he says there's a branch of the olive tree that has been cut off through unbelief. That is Israel. And he says the world, the Gentiles, were then grafted in to the branch, to the root, to God, to life. And he said... Don't be thinking you are better than the Jews because it is through their root that you have life. This is all the goodness and the mercy of God. And he said, understand that I will graft Israel back into this branch. So, let me, let me back up a little bit. Israel through unbelief was cut off. I like to think of it as they were put on the sidetrack of the railroad, all right? And in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, up until even today, God says, I want you to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. I want you to to take this message of Jesus Christ to everyone. This is called um, the church age. This is called, he is, he is bringing the gospel to everyone for the opportunity to them to receive or reject Christ. But this time period where Israel is on the sidetrack, so to speak, and, and the gospel is to everyone... This time period will end when Jesus Christ returns in the rapture. 
That will be the end of the church age. And at that time, Israel will be brought back front and center on God's platform and God's program, front and center, so to speak, on God's turntable of a potter's wheel. Now, the day we're living in today is a day that God is working with Israel, but they are in unbelief. When the church age ends at the rapture, when believers, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, then the events from Revelation chapter 5 on will take place. It's called the seven-year period of tribulation. It's, it's called the wrath of God being poured out on the nations. But it is also a time that God uses to bring Israel back to belief. It is going to be a horrific time on the face of the earth. <clears throat> but one of the purposes is that God is going to use that to bring Israel to belief to faith in God. And, if you turn back to Zechariah chapter 12, in Zechariah chapter 12, he is giving a prophecy of what will be happening at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. And he says, this is the burden of the Word of the Lord, the One who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Israel a cup of drunkenness to the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, let me again lay the scene. Believers in our age now and the dead in Christ will be raised when Jesus Christ comes, First Thessalonians 4 and other passages that relate to it. Then will be the seven-year period of tribulation, and through this, horrific things will happen on the earth, but through it, Israel will be brought back to, first they'll be deceived, they'll follow the Antichrist, Antichrist will perform an abomination of desolation, but through it all, Israel will come back to belief, and this nation Israel will be what he says here. One, he mentions three things. One, it will be a cup of drunkenness to the nations. Meaning, the nations will be controlled by a hatred for Israel. They will be intoxicated with Israel. All they can think about is Israel, Israel, Israel. We already see some of that today. Iran has said their goal is to wipe Israel and the United States off the face of the earth. But it will become even worse and all the nations will be gathered. So he says there will be a cup of drunkenness. He then says in verse 3, it shall happen in that day I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples and all who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. So, Israel is this heavy stone. It's just a postage stamp geographically. But this is a heavy stone, and all the nations 
will come to mess with Israel. And, and the terminology that he uses here it is a terminology, it is too heavy for you to lift and bear and you will have a hernia. You will be torn to pieces. So he says, it's a cup of drunkenness. They're, they're controlled, intoxicated with, with pursuing Israel. They're going to come and try to, to pick up this stone and it will destroy them. And then he said in verse 6, that Israel will be like a fire pan in a wood pile and like a fiery torch among the sheaves. In other words, it is, it is like bringing fire to kindling and a torch to a haystack, if you please. There, it, Israel is going to devour them, not because of Israel, but because it is God that is doing the work. And God... In, in Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, he is, he is telling the children of Israel, this is your future. Israel has been in bondage. Israel has been slaves. And they've seen a little ray of hope being brought back to Jerusalem from bondage. And now Zechariah is saying, this is what's going to happen. People that try to pick you up, people that try to mess with you, they'll be cut to pieces. And... All of that is at the end of the tribulation, which is known as the Battle of Armageddon, which is really a campaign, not just one individual battle, but a campaign that takes place and in which God comes and defeats Israel's enemy and reigns supreme. And that's what chapters 12, 13, and 14 deal with. So... He ends this book reminding us that God will reign and rule from Jerusalem. So, what does all this mean to us? Like I said, I'm, you may be saying, I'm just trying to survive here in my life, and honestly, I don't really care what's going on in the Middle East. Whether you care or not, everything in God's program centers around the Middle East, in particular around Israel. So, what does it mean to us? Number one, God keeps His promises. God promised to Abraham He would make him a great nation, He would give him the lands, He would bless all the nations of the earth, and those that bless Israel will be blessed, and those that curse Israel will be cursed. And not long after that, it looked like God wasn't keeping His promise because Abraham had no children. And it looked like God wasn't keeping His promise. And so Abraham took matters into his own hands and had a child with his handmaid, which was not God's plan. And again, it looked like God wasn't going to keep His promise. But God kept His promise. And God gave him seed. God gave him children. God multiplied those, but... If we were to take a a survey throughout Israeli history, we would find they went into bondage. They were were abused over and over again. They were scattered abroad on the face of the earth. They were, which all historians believe the nation Israel was done and over, never to exist again, all the way up through the 1940s. But in 1948, Israel became a nation again. 
And immediately when they became a nation, the nations around them tried to wipe them out. And miraculously, God gave them victory. But still, that isn't, that isn't fulfillment of the promises here. But God is showing throughout all of history, this is what I promised. And it may look like I'm not keeping my promise, but I keep my promises. And I will fulfill my promises. It means to us that God keeps His promises. Secondly, you can count on this, that all the nations of the earth will gather against Israel. Look at chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, and so on. All the nations of the earth will gather against Israel. You don't have to be a prophet to say, I know Iran will not wipe out Israel. Because God said, there is going to be an Israel till the very last day. Regardless of political maneuverings and plans and the, the plans of men, God said, there is coming a day that all the nations will gather against Israel. And thirdly, Israel will never be destroyed. There is no way that Israel will be destroyed. Now, can we go to times in history where people could say, look, Israel's destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. You can go to that. You can find that. But then God miraculously works to bring Israel back. And Israel will be at the very end. It will never be destroyed. So we come down and we say, God's promises to me are just as dependable as God's promises to Israel. I'm not going to take the time to deal with God. We don't have the time to deal with all God's promises to us. But this isn't just unique to Israel. Yes, He made unique promises to Abraham. But He has given us promises. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise of God. Well, I don't feel saved. Well, it's not based on your feelings. It's based on the Word of God. He also promised if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promised that His grace will be sufficient for every situation that we face in life. It is beyond us, but it's not beyond God. He promises that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And every promise that God has given to us is as sure and steadfast to every promise that He gave to Israel. And really, looking at what God has done to Israel ought to build our faith to realize God has promised these things and, and we can rest in His provision and rest in His care. But here's an important part. God keeps His promises because of His faithfulness, not because of ours. Israel is a picture of unfaithfulness to God. The book of Judges shows Israel turning away from God and God raising up evil people to rule over them. And they repent 
And God raises up a deliverer. And this happens over and over and over again. And God keeps His promises not because Israel is faithful. Israel is un, in unbelief today. The overwhelming majority of people in Israel today are in unbelief. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But God's going to keep His promise. And He's going to bring the people of of Israel to realize Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And He does that not because He's impressed with the people's faithfulness. See, Satan comes to you and says, ah, why should God keep, keep His promise to you? You haven't kept your word to God. You haven't been faithful. You blew it here. You, you went your own way here. God keeping us, we are kept by the power of God, is not a result of our works. It's a result of His work. It's not a result of our faithfulness because we all fail. It's a result of God's faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. So it reminds us that God keeps His promises because He is faithful, not because we are. So... It makes us realize in understanding God is writing this grand narrative that I can rest and rejoice because God sovereignly rules in all the affairs of men. Look again at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2. Notice what it says, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. It's not Antichrist that's gathering them. Who's taking the initiative in gathering all the nations against Jerusalem? It is God. God is over Antichrist. He is over Satan. He is all-powerful. He is King of all creation. We sang that earlier. And it ought to make us say, Man, I don't know what's going on in this world, but I know the King. And I know He's in control and He is going to make all things work out exactly as He said. Psalm 33 and verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught or to nothing. He makes the devices of the people of no effect. We can get, we can get besides ourselves. Do you understand what... The World Economic Forum is doing. Do you understand what Satan's doing? Do you understand what politicians are doing? Do you know all this? God is still going to have His will. And we think there are rich and powerful people. There is no one that compares to God. And we can rest and rejoice. Look at how He's kept His Word to Israel. Look at how He's kept His Word to uh, the New Testament saints. But we can rest and rejoice that God sovereignly rules not only in the affairs of men, but God rules in our heart. I mean, we, we sang several songs. He is king of all creation. He is king. And, and the nation Israel is an example to us of this. And it ought to cause us to rejoice. In just a moment, we're going to sing... The song, Our Sovereign God. And I, I want you to, to think of the words as we sing it. 
Our sovereign God, by His own word, sustains the world and reigns as Lord. No angel, demon, sinful man can change His course, restrain His hand. That's our God. And sure, there comes things in our life that seem big and overwhelming, but it's never too big for God. And regardless of what comes, we need to cling to God even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of doubt, and say, God, You are sovereign. You are King of all creation. And I'm resting, and by faith I am rejoicing in You. Because when we see Jesus, we will see the fullness of His plan. By now, in this age, we see through a glass darkly but someday face to face. And the key is that, as we sang earlier, that we bow down before Him and yield to Him, first of all, in trusting Him for the forgiveness of sin, and then secondly, of trusting Him to lead us in every individual aspect of our life. That God, You are the King of all. So, in understanding The big picture, God is at work. God is the author and the finisher. And He's at both places at the same time because He is not limited by time. He is infinite in all His ways. There's no ending of His wisdom, His power, His glory. And that's our God. And He said, I want you to come to Me by faith. In Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged in You. Lord, there's many circumstances in life that are not encouraging. But Lord, through it all, You are able to make all things glorify You. And may we bow before You. May we have a faith that is unwavering. And Lord, may we submit to You as only the King that does right, that is all-powerful, and that is the beginning and the end. Lord, we need You. As we sang earlier today, we need You. Without You, we can do nothing. And Lord, I pray if there is one here today that has never trusted You, never been grafted in to eternal life in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray today that they would call upon You. We love You, Lord. We thank You that we can trust You. In Jesus' name, Amen.